I don't know of a church that doesn't have a prayer list. Pittman Park has its prayer list. We print it in the bulletin every Sunday. But Pittman Park is not alone in this venture. Uh, Every church that I've ever known has a prayer list of some sort that it shares with the congregation. Um, If it is not printed, it is audible and a part of uh, worship. It's an interesting thing that I have discovered that the length of the list is in inverse relationship to the size of the church. Now think about that just a second and you'll know what I'm talking about. You would think that our prayer list is a long list. There are names that are not actually printed that are on it. I know that. But the size of our prayer list in comparison to the size of the prayer list of the smaller congregations that surround us out in the country here in Bullock County, I guarantee you that their prayer lists are much, much longer than ours. Now, this is not a contest here to see who can come up with the longest prayer list. It's just that I have seen that in those locations where there are small congregations, there is a strong focus on the nature of prayer to unite the congregation. I remember when we were serving uh, down in Miller County at Cook's Union United Methodist Church, which by the way was a part of that area that was devastated recently by Hurricane Michael, not Hurricane Florence that hit Wilmington area, but Hurricane Michael that came in there. Uh, that that little congregation that we served, they you had to rein them in because during worship when we were sharing, they would want to go on and on and on mentioning the cousin of a cousin, you know, that needed to be lifted up in prayer. We had one man who was a part of the congregation, James Cook, that I will forever remember. Uh, James came to know the, the Lord in a very deep way while we were there and it was just a sight to behold because his energy, even though he was this very simple-minded man, his energy to want to serve God in some way propelled him on Sunday evenings to stand up and to begin to uh, list this litany of, of names of persons that he wanted to lift up in prayer. And the way that he would do this was to say, Lord, let's bless. And I thought, well, he's putting himself in high company here. He's putting himself right there adjacent to God as he says, Lord, let's bless. You may have prayed before that God would bless somebody, but have you ever prayed in order that you would be a part of the blessing? Lord, let's bless so-and-so, Sister Cook that's just down the road or Granddaddy Cook, whoever it may be in our community that's hurting. Lord, let's bless. This is important work to which you and I are called. And so I have a question for you this morning. Who's on your prayer list? Who's on your prayer list? Who do you really care about? For whom are you praying? There are a number of prayer groups in our uh, congregation, of course. I'm a part of the Woody Powell group that meets on Tuesday mornings. And it's interesting to me how each one of us around the circle has our own little prayer list. Um, Everybody seems to write down names of persons that they keep on their minds, not just simply at the meeting, the prayer meeting, but in days following the meeting. And we will add to those lists and then we will bring them to that group. One precious soul that now is passed on into God's glory. Uh, Buck Williams taught us all how to do that really. Buck could keep a list better than anybody. In fact, he had a little book that he would bring into the meeting with him and he would open it up and he would, he would say, okay, now we prayed for this person, how are they doing? 
last week. And so it was this accounting of those prayers that we were offering up. What a beautiful thing it is to think of how God uses prayer to bless others. Here in our community, you may have thought to yourself, we're right directly across the road from Georgia Southern University. And as you think about that, you think surely that's got to be the largest employer uh, in Bullock County. I understand in talking to somebody that that's not the case, that actually the hospital and all of the related medical personnel that are connected with the hospital, that's the largest employer. Now, I fear that somebody here in this congregation is gonna correct me on this information later, but that's my understanding that in this community that there are so many that are employed related to the medical field, and I don't doubt it. You can just think about this for a moment and you can see the connections that we all have with wanting to be healthy people. There's so many places that offer assistance for good health. And it's interesting, I can remember years ago how when even pastors would go into hospitals, there was a sense in which the medical community saw itself as being separate from the faith community. And in fact, I think they felt like it was a little bit of an intrusion in some ways. Now the patients never felt like it was an intrusion for a pastor or anyone else to come and visit, but the business of doing medicine was something that did not so much need the assistance, and in fact, they certainly didn't need us to get in the way of what was going on. I am grateful to report to you that a lot of that has changed, and that here in the hospital, not only are persons of the faith community welcomed, they are encouraged to be a part. It is seldom a door is closed that we simply don't walk into, and to find that the medical community is eager to allow us because they have learned that healing is not something that is just prescriptive with medicine. It is not something that can be applied just by someone who has a hypodermic needle that they are about to puncture you with. It is something that is assisted by the nature of the community around. We offer our prayers in that regard for healing, and for grief care, and for all kinds of well-being, even now. This little epistle of James has a beleaguered history. I bet you have heard it said that Martin Luther, when he read through it, didn't think that it should even be in the Bible. That's an interesting thing to think about as the Protestant reformer that he was. Luther wrote prefaces to all the different books of the Bible and the translations that he offered over the course of his life. And in his preface written in 1522, he called the book of James an epistle of straw. And it was because he was so fastened to the idea that we would be saved by faith and nothing else. This was uh, preached by him and by his uh, cohorts into a community of those who had been trained to believe that you could almost buy your way into heaven by contributing to the certain mission projects of the church. And when I say mission, usually it was the building up of larger and larger buildings. 
Martin Luther felt like it was important for the word to be offered. And so it was contrary to his way of thinking to hear in this second chapter of the epistle of James these words, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? And so this irritated Martin Luther. It was a burr under his saddle. In fact, he went on to say, he said, I believe that there are some good things that are in the epistle of James, but the writer of James was not ample person to communicate those truths. That is scathing to speak those words. His concern, however, did not question the supportive nature of what James was seeking to do, especially toward the end of that letter. And that is that he focused in not on some list of things that the church needed to do, but specifically on calling the church to be a people of prayer, of which Martin Luther was one himself. Jesus's ministry was filled with healing. If you read through that little book of Mark, you'll see that it doesn't start at the birth narrative of Jesus. It begins with the stories of, of Jesus having been baptized and then entering into his ministry. The first healing that is listed there takes place in that little fishing village of Capernaum on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a fascinating location. Uh, they have done archaeological digs and have discovered fascinating buildings, the remnants of those buildings, their foundations still being in place. And in one particular location, they have found a building that is an octagonal structure that was built in about 300 A.D. by the Byzantines. The early church in that area built what scholars believe is the first significant church building on top of the foundation of the Apostle Peter's house. Now, more recently, the Franciscans have come and built a church up over that place that has a glass floor in it so that if you walk into the building, you can actually see into the archaeological dig that is being talked about. It's fascinating to think about. But what is it that we know about this structure of Peter's house? There's really only one significant story that's told. And as Mark remembers, Peter's mother-in-law was sick. And when Jesus was told, Jesus went to her and reaching out to her provided for her healing, at which point she got up and in her enthusiasm began to serve all of those that were in the house. Isn't that a great story of how Jesus works for our healing? I bet some of you have stories to tell about healing that could keep us here for hours and hours sharing in the glory, the mysterious glory of what Christ can do. In the gospel telling, we hear stories about Jesus healing leprosy, that dread disease of Jesus healing a paralytic man who was actually lowered into the assembly in a house 
on ropes and a pallet as they brought him down to be just in front of Jesus. Jesus touching and healing a withered hand. Jesus healing a man who was possessed by a demon. In fact, multiple persons that he encountered, he, he, uh, he killed them of, of their uh, possession. A woman who was bleeding for years and reached out to touch the hem of his garment and in that very moment was healed. A girl who was at the point of death and some would laugh and say, oh, she was beyond at the point of death. She was dead. And Jesus reached out and brought her back to life. This had a way of transforming community and it still does according to the way in which we think about Jesus's healing us. James talks about this here. He says, are any among you suffering? They should pray. If you're cheerful, sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. And do you see how he is looking at the needsfulness of healing prayer here? Because there's nothing that is more sickening that affects our lives than our sinfulness, our separation from God. And it is by the healing grace of the community, not only calling on God to forgive them, but involving our willingness to do the work of forgiveness as well, that we all as a community are healed. Therefore, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. So who is on your prayer list? And do you know the power of prayer? God is able to do remarkable things. It doesn't require a preacher to be the one who does the act of prayer, does the work of prayer. In fact, I believe that all of us have the opportunity to be in special ministry of prayer. There was a young couple that came to meet with me. They called me when I was pastor of a church in Warner Robins. They actually were a part of the congregation in Dublin that I had served, and they called me. I could tell that they were in dire straits, and they said, we just want you to pray with us. Their situation was that they were wanting to have a child of their own, and they had not been able to be helped by the medical community toward that end. And their most recent visit with their doctor was to tell them that not only had the more recent attempt been ineffective, that he felt like that, that this was going to be a continuing saga. And they were so very discouraged. Before they got to my office, they stopped to pick up a bite to eat at the McDonald's restaurant that was just a block down the street. And while they were in the restaurant, they went to the counter to place their order. And the lady behind the counter at the register saw the trouble that must have been written on their faces. And she stopped what she was doing and she looked at them and she said, she said, I have no idea what's going on with you. She said, but I know 
that you have a spirit of sadness. And she said to them, pointing her finger at him, she said, I want you to know that I am praying for you right now. Well, goodness, by the time they got to my office, I didn't need to do a thing. They had been so lifted by just the idea that she was praying for them. It had transformed their whole demeanor. They had been healed in a way that we may not know in their spirits. Uh, some of you know that Kathy Barnes lost her father in death in the past days of this week. And it was interesting to me how she reported to several, not just myself, about her father's passing. His name was Ace, and he's a fascinating individual. You ought to look up his obituary. What a blessed man he was. But she texted me just a few days ago, and she said, Ace has been healed. And I paused for just a second, and then I realized what she was saying. Because in her heart, in her mind, she knew that God's ultimate and eternal will had been done in his life. And it not only spoke of this eternal healing that came to him, but this eternal healing that is a part of her embraced reality as well. And so I invite you to think not so much prescriptively of what only the medical community can do, but to think about what God is doing through and even in spite of all of our best efforts. Illness can be brutal. We all know that. But we are called to be a people in prayer for healing. Healing in whatever way God might send it to us. So I ask you again, who is on your prayer list? And are you doing the work of praying? This is critical work to who we are.